0: Welcome to Imagine If, the alternate history podcast. I'm your host, Brody Burton. Welcome back to Imagine If. As you may have been able to guess if you are a regular listener of A Fork in Time, another and and really, from what I have been able to tell, the only other major alternate history podcast, you might be able to tell the topic of today's episode. Recently, I had a conversation with Don Shelley with The Fork in Time, which we will hear about in a moment, which, we'll, which you will hear in a moment. You'll hear the full thing. However, first, while we are on the topic of A Fork in Time, there's a new podcast coming out of A Fork in Time. The Room Where It Happens, is a podcast that will come out this summer. Unlike I'm Imagine If and A Fork in Time, The Room Where It Happened will be a long-form history podcast rather than a short-form alternate history podcast like what we have and like what A Fork in Time has. Of course, new podcasts in the alternate history and even history space are not viewed as competition by myself or A Fork in Time. We welcome anyone who would like to expand this community. The Room Where It Happened is the next part of this community, and if you would like to potentially participate in The Room Where It Happened, Go to a fork in time's website, aforkintime.com, and under the section at the top, you'll be able to visit the site's subpage for the room where it happened where a survey is located. If you would like to potentially participate in the room where it happens, that survey is for you. Enough of that for now. Don and I will talk about that towards the end. And without further ado, my interview with Don Shelley of a fork in time.
1: Welcome back uh, to the podcast. Uh, Don here today and I'm joined by Brody Burton and uh, Brody I know that this is going to show up on Imagine If, so I'll let uh, your normal listeners hear your voice now and they'll understand if they're listening to this recording on your podcast that it's you uh, but it's you and I together so how are you doing today Brody?
0: I'm doing good I'm doing I'm doing very well.
1: Good good uh, for those of you that are Fork and Time listeners you'll know that we did a joint uh think we did a joint episode about 30 episodes ago and and Brody of course is the host of Imagine If and if you're listening to this on the Imagine If feed you already knew that so I've told you uh, additional information that was unnecessary but we're excited to have him here also appearing on the Fork in Time feed. So Brody had reached out about doing another joint episode and I'm glad that he did because I'd been thinking about it too. So Brody we talked a little bit about a topic and I'm going to let you introduce what that topic is to our listeners here uh, telling us where we're going to uh we're going to break time apart and how we're going to analyze it so Brody tell us what we're going to do as a topic today
0: okay so about 20 about 20 years ago there was a major event in world history that changed the course of the 21st century for the United States and for the world and that event was 9-11 however only about a a year or so before there was a very, very close election, and we very, very realistically could have had Al Gore as the US president during 911 rather than George W. Bush.
1: And so our using our concept from a fork in time, our fork's going to be that there was a different outcome in the two thousand election, which as you pointed out was a very close election, was a contested election. And we sort of already agreed off podcast, we're not really going to go down the, the rabbit hole of, of all the things we could talk about on that election, except to say there's lots of scenarios other than even the one that most people might be thinking about, which is changing the outcome in Florida that could have changed the outcome of that election. It was close.
0: Yeah, New Hampshire was very close too. Yeah.
1: yeah. So we end up they- with we end up with a with a newly elected now president. Al Gore, uh, who is uh, was the vice president, of course, for eight years during the Clinton administration. And the events of 9-11 happened roughly eight months into the new presidency in the regular timeline that's in the George Bush presidency and George W. Bush presidency. And in this case, we're now talking the Al Gore uh, presidency and the alternative here. Uh, I don't think there's very many of our listeners who aren't familiar with the real timeline of history, but of course, that was early in Bush's presidency, in the real, in the real timeline. And uh, the way that I've always thought about it, in some ways, 9-11 hijacked whatever the Bush presidency would have been, because from that point on, we were living in the post-9-11 world. And would you agree, Brody, that it's a fair thing to say that whatever the Gore presidency would also have been, <laughs> uh, once 9-11 comes, the Gore presidency gets hijacked into its version of a post 9-11 world.
0: Definitely, definitely. It was always going to be different after September 11th. There's right. no way to avoid it. And so
1: <laughs> what we're going to try to do here is apply what we know about Gore uh, historically as a politician and historically in, in terms of what he ran on and the types of things that were important to him. And then both try, I guess, really to understand, at least in my way of thinking here, Brody, and certainly jump in if you think differently or or need to expound upon this looking to see how things you know again could have stayed the same what would have carried through but also how uh, the events of 911 would have changed because of the personality that's there so um what do you think is the number one thing that would be different in a uh Gore presidency post 911 from what we experienced in the in the reality of a Bush presidency after 911?
0: Well, the first thing would be a completely different look to foreign wars. Bush was in favor of them, Gore was opposed to them. Afghanistan was probably not avoidable, but Iraq was. I think the biggest thing would be America never would have gotten involved in Iraq. And the second biggest thing is we would have been in Afghanistan for a significantly shorter amount of time.
1: So is it a fair way of summarizing what you just said there that a the equal likelihood that pursuing the those who had who had who had carried out the deed the Taliban who were in Afghanistan bin Laden was in Afghanistan or at least you know they are near the Pakistani border that that region of the world more focus on that that would have happened anyway and you think an even larger focus on that without sort of the split focus of there and Iraq
0: yeah that's a fair way to summarize it
1: okay and so under that scenario What's different? I mean, obviously, it's different if you don't go into Iraq, but what's what's? how does that play out? What, what are the dominoes that fall after that?
0: Well, I forgot to talk about this off podcast, but Saddam Hussein stays in power. That seems like a fairly big thing. Um, America is overall less involved in the Middle East. Um, and additionally, I think more on the home front, Al Gore probably would have, well, President Al Gore in this scenario, probably would have advocated to be involved less in the Middle East to avoid having a 9-11 style event in the future. Because if you look at bin Laden's reasons for doing it, although they were completely unjustified, we do not support terrorism. Um it was primarily because America had gotten involved in the Middle East during the previous Bush presidency, during the presidency of George W. Bush's father, George H.W. Bush, Um, the Gulf War and all that. So, and along that line, I think he would have combined that with his uh, green environmentalism agenda to try and have America be less dependent on Middle Eastern oil and to try and use green energy made in America
1: yeah, and when we were talking about this off podcast, as I, as I mentioned, Brody, then I'll mention it again now for the listeners here, that was the first thing that struck me as being not something that I had really directly connected in my head before, but something that actually resonates as something that I could, you know, value you bring it up and suggesting is something I very much could see that could have happened. Uh, because, uh, you know, without getting into the current debate, and I know that, the, you know, we have listeners that probably follow on both sides of this debate for uh, known as anthropomorphic climate change, man-induced climate change versus natural cycles, and we don't want to go down that path because all we'll do is make half the people that listen to us probably unhappy. But uh, regardless of which way you go on that, one of the things I think that Gore could have done under that scenario is make the argument for alternative fuels, uh, development of American resources. Maybe, you know, pushing forward some of the things that we have seen in the last 20 years, which is the growth of the natural gas industry, as still a fossil fuel but an alternative fuel to to coal and to, and to oil, is uh, could have done that in a way that it wasn't solely framed in the context of the environment. There would have still been the environmental element and that would have been an important part because of Gore's disposition towards it that, that we knew already existed at the time, but it would have given an economic and well, um, geopolitical reason, <laughs> not just a political yeah. reason but a geopolitical reason to, to go the other way and so I think you would have had the chance maybe to bring converts regardless of whether people were whether they believed at the same level that that Gore did about climate change or had that same passion from just the the ecological point of view, you would have brought other converts there, because now there would have been a reason more than just more than just the climate.
0: Yes, and I don't, I don't really think that a whole lot of people would really, I think Gore would push it. I don't know how much, how well that would be received. But then again, 9-11 did convince people that we needed to be involved in the Middle East, which historically is not always the greatest idea.
1: <laughs> it hasn't worked out well for a lot of major powers. That's one thing that you can definitely say. Historically, it's not been uh, it's not been something that has often led to success. So there's no doubt about that. So as- assuming that that happens, let- let- let's carry that a little bit forward here. So let's say um there's able to get some you know congressional support funding uh more some type of national program that moves more towards uh the initiatives that are about america becoming um energy independent that's always been something both parties could sort of get behind uh, they had different ways of thinking about how it would work but but independent um the first thing that pops into my mind is you probably you know Electric, electric vehicle technology probably would have seen more of a boost. Uh, you may have seen alternatives for uh, electricity production with uh, fewer, you know, coal resources, again, natural gas resources. Do you have any, do you have any particulars there that that you've thought about that maybe come to mind in terms of how that would have played out specifically?
0: Um, on the whole general subject, I believe it was 1997. The U.S. entered an agreement in Kyoto. I'm probably butchering it. City in Japan to agree to some of these same standards. And yeah, with the electric cars, I and uh, general electric energy, I think it would be something Gore would push for. I don't know what what kind of success he would have because it's going to take more than four or eight years to be able to implement something that's changed the natural gas industry and the auto in the automobile industry, which have been around for, at this point in history, coming up on 100 years.
1: Right. Yeah, I think you actually make another interesting point there, which one of the challenges of of any of these big type of initiatives, be they viewed as being more conservative or be they viewed as being more liberal, it sort of doesn't matter, is that when you're talking about things that can't be done overnight and there are some things that no matter how much money you throw at them, you can't change the time component requirement. Uh, is that the nature of every political system, but particularly the American political system, is you have to have something that can sustain itself beyond four and eight-year chunks of time. (laughs) Because something happens every four years at the national level, happens every two years uh, with a major part, or happens on six-year rotation cycles that cause the mix of players to change. And you've got to have something that can sustain itself despite the potential changes or the potential pressures that come with that.
0: Yes, and and on that note, at the time that Gore would be present, at the time of around 9-11, the Senate was split very, very thinly. It it was a Republican majority in our timeline, because it was a 50-50 Senate, and Dick Cheney had the tie-breaking vote, but in this timeline, Joe Lieberman, who is interesting, we'll probably get to later, would have given the Democrats a majority, and the House a narrow Republican majority. So I think There'd probably be a few major congressional battles to get through a lot of this legislation for climate change policies and for green energy. Probably, which Gore would push, but there would be a lot of resistance to it in the Republican caucus. And he, I don't know what kind of success he would have had. Yeah, and I, I agree. Even he might not get the ability to throw so much money at it. He might. It would be an
1: uphill battle, right? And 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 then I think you know the interesting thing about this is, again, assuming that you have a fairly quick resolution to whatever conflict the um, uh, the U.S. chooses to engage in. Your suggestion here is that Gore probably leads down a path that's a more limited, focused on the Af- uh, Af- U.S. presence in Afghanistan for the reasons it's they're versus sort of also at the same time a presence in Iraq um foreign wars are always unpopular regardless of who the who the who the party is of the president that's in office uh that's just the nature of what they are just because that's just a very american thing
0: but they then start out popular, then end up very, very unpopular.
1: Correct. That there's that trick. And again, because it's, it's you know it's a factor of fatigue. It's a factor of, you know, would you have had clear objectives? It's tough to you can establish clear objectives up front. But then what happens if you don't achieve them? Again, not getting down into all the particulars here, making it you know as as current as it could be. But definitely a factor that would have been playing in the in the two thousand four now. Re-election campaign would have been that would have been I think a referendum on what as it was for in our real timeline for Bush uh, where he he won re-election more handily than he did in 2000 but not without a challenger and um, or without a challenge the 2004 election would have been a referendum on Gore's handling of the response to 9/11 and whatever the the view was on the intervention in Afghanistan. And you're suggesting possibly also a referendum on his initiatives along the idea of of um, energy independence and the US becoming less dependent on the Middle East as an energy source. So that election would have also had that as a major campaign
0: issue. Yeah, it would have centered very, very heavily around that.
1: Right. And, you know, one of the things, I, when I mentioned the hijack, you know, to me, one of the, in fact, it will be an episode of a fork in time at some point, because for me, it's fascinating, especially, you know, living living in Texas and being from Texas, having seen what uh, George W. Bush did as the Texas governor before he was president of the United States, I, I happen to take the mindset that, The Bush presidency that we know, the second Bush presidency, George W's presidency, would have been very different than what it was in reality if it had not been for 9-11. That's why I use the term hijacked, because I think what he intended to do, what he intended to focus on, uh, particularly some of the domestic things that he intended to focus on in his uh, in his presidency, obviously uh, took a back seat to the things that he had to deal with internationally as a result of this terrorist act and the things that, that, that came from that. And to me, what was intriguing about this when you mentioned it off podcast is that how potentially Gore could have taken the act and used it to push forward what he wanted to on his domestic agenda versus it running against his domestic agenda.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's all. that's all very true. But this this may be somewhat related, but with the subject of domestic policy versus foreign policy, I think the Gore a theoretical Gore administration would always be more equipped to handle a foreign um, to handle a domestic centered political sphere, whereas Bush would have been more advantaged in a foreign policy sphere. So I think that's probably where the difference come from. Like, for example, George W. Bush's vice president was Dick Cheney, former Secretary of Defense, I think either under his father or Reagan. I don't know. Uh, He he was
1: under uh, under, uh, his father.
0: Okay. Whereas um, Gore would have had Lieberman as his running mate. Well, he had him as his running mate in reality in this alternate timeline. He would be the vice president. Lieberman was a Senator from Connecticut, a very moderate Senator from Connecticut. And I think that would have helped Gore's administration become more centered on domestic policy post 9-11, whereas Bush would have been centered more on foreign policy post 9-11.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a fair assessment. And for all the reasons that it tends to be, tends to be the, just the sort of the DNA of the two parties and how they tend to approach things historically up until everything that sort of shifted in the last few years. So I want to focus a little bit on the 2004 election under this scenario, because I think it's also one of the more interesting twists to this fork in time. Uh, The first question would be, now you have Gore standing for re-election following his first term in 2004. This now represents 12 years of Democrats having control of the White House. Uh, Who do you think is the likely Republican nominee in 2004? Is it George Bush coming around for a second shot because he just barely missed in 2000? Or do we bring a different likely candidate into the fray on the Republican side?
0: So I think to answer that kind of backwards, Bush would not have been the nominee. He wouldn't have ran. At this point, he may or may not have still been governor of Texas. Maybe at this point he would have retired and and Rick Perry probably would have taken over. But I think, and to give a few candidates here before I say who I think would win, uh, Utah Senator Orrin Hatch would have probably run and done well. And he ran in 2000 as well. Steve Forbes. And, uh, There there would probably be a few others, probably a few other senators and governors that would come to prominence under a Gore administration who we simply do not know because we only have the hindsight of a Bush administration, so we don't know who would have risen to the top, but regardless, I'm, I'm going to guess that Arizona Senator John McCain would probably be the most likely nominee given his experience on well, he was, he was a prisoner of war in Vietnam, and he knows, he would know a lot about foreign wars. And I think at this point, the war in Afghanistan and would still have been popular, kind of, but the Gore administration would not be because of their more domestic focus when I think Americans would want a more foreign policy centered political sphere because of the events of nine eleven.
1: Right. Uh, I think those are all insights that I, I would concur with and agree with that. And of course, realizing that McCain was the nominee in uh, 2008, you're really just advancing him four years ahead of the, of the time when he actually did secure the nomination.
0: Uh, well, and, it happens a lot. The Republicans tend to have, tend to nominate their runner up in the next cycle. In right. 2008, they nominated McCain, 2012, it was Romney it's not it after that you so don't want to get too current.
1: Yeah, but 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 you're exactly right. It tends to be the, you know, somebody somebody gets in the race, gets the recognition, builds a builds a builds an apparatus that they can reactivate in the next election cycle and uh and it, it seems you know, there's a reason that that works. There's a reason that that flows mm. for all kinds of reasons. Part of its money, part of its organization, part of its exposure, it all plays together. So I agree with you. It's it's not a for all the reasons you've mentioned, it's not anything far-fetched to imagine that there would have been uh, a John McCain challenge to Gore now seeking re-election in 2004. Um, do you think it's still Lieberman on the ticket with Gore in 2004? I mean, normally, normally folks don't change in, in midstream here. Do you think he would have been loyal to his vice president, or do it you think there's been. anything that might have caused that change as well?
0: A few presidents have changed their vice president. The most noble one I can think of is Abraham Lincoln, but I think that Lieberman probably would have disagreed with Gore on several key issues. And in 2008, Lieberman had openly campaigned for McCain in our timeline. And eventually he was, I believe he either left or was thrown out of the Democrats Senate Caucus and formed his own third party and caucus with the Republicans. So I think it would be interesting to see if we could have a McCain-Lieberman ticket.
1: Hmm. Wow. (laughs) That would be unprecedented in the sense of the, uh, so in in that scenario, obviously for that to happen, you would have had to have had Lieberman's actual resignation from the office of vice president.
0: I don't think you would have really, you wouldn't have been forced, like once the vice presidents have ran while still in the office, that tends to be more cabinet members. I believe cabinet members cannot. Yeah.
1: Of course, running. Run, of course, running. Running with the opposite party against the president who who you're who you're serving gets gets a little strange.
0: It, it it would it would. It's I don't think there's ever been aside from the previous president, and I guess Ronald Reagan, most presidents have stuck with their parties their whole lives, and yeah. that applies to vice presidents as well.
1: Yeah, again, it's the it's the rare event for whatever reason that it's happened. It certainly happened in American history. In fact, one of the interesting little pieces of trivia I know I picked up about a month ago is how many more you know there's been more vice presidents than there have been presidents for for that reason, uh, in the sense well, that of. Reason,
0: uh, that reason, then they've died, <laughs> right?
1: And then, of course, the flip side of that, having no no way to replace. You know, I was suddenly reminded when I was looking at that. It was actually for a trivia question that was done inside of our office. Suddenly realized how many times, you know, up until recently, up until the twenty-second amendment, we had no provision for replacing the vice president. So we went for extended periods of time without a vice president. Uh, depending upon when the when the when the president actually died, I was actually looking here at who who some of the other candidates were mm-hmm. in 2000 to see other potential candidates besides McCain who would have come back. You mentioned Forbes, you mentioned Hatch. One of the things that jumped out at me as being interesting, just because of the connection that would have been with Gore, is that the former the former governor of Tennessee, Lamar Alexander, a Republican. Uh, that would be
0: interesting.
1: Actually, had, had had made several presidential runs. He withdrew before the primaries in two thousand, in two thousand, in two thousand. Uh, but you know that, that idea of him uh, of him coming along and uh, you know being able to challenge you know Gore on his own turf in Tennessee for that vote would have uh, um, would, have, would have been interesting concept.
0: I don't even think. Um, there would have been challenging on the, on the turf, but Gore wasn't especially popular in his home state of Tennessee. He I'm lost Tennessee to to Bush, he uh-huh. lost to, although it had voted for Clinton in 92 and 98. Yeah.
1: But and and one of the fascinating things about that, Brody, is it, it, that's really during that period of time when you see the trans, the party transition in the South <clears throat> where, In many states like uh, Tennessee, Texas was this way, way back in the day, uh, you had conservative Democrats. You essentially had two wings of the Democratic Party before Republicans had really gained a viability in a state where it was a true two party state like they used to call Texas a modified one party state. Tennessee was sort of in that same ilk as were a lot of other southern states. There were two flavors of Democrats, you know, Democrats and Dixiecrats kind of thing.
0: West Virginia, as an example, that just came to mind. like they had up until very, very recently, their entire congressional delegation, their governor, all were Democrats, but it was a solid state on the presidential level for Republicans. Even now it still has a Democrat Senator, even though it voted, even though every county voted for the Republican candidate in the last election, not to get into the current right. affairs things, but yes, I think there's,
1: there's interesting trends there. Yes. Well, and the, they, the they, other name that jumped out at me here, and we're, we're going to settle on one so we can carry forward with our alternate timeline, but the other one that jumps out at me that's an interesting one to look at was, um, uh, uh, the former Secretary of Labor, wife of former Senator Elizabeth Dole, and who ran in in 2000, and the idea perhaps of a female candidate on the Republican side uh, stepping into what that would have meant in 2004 is just another interesting thing from that crossed my head, and be curious to know because again the environment of who would have run in 2004 is different when you're challenging a Democratic incumbent uh, versus when you are. Uh, you know, in, in the real timeline situation where there's already a Republican <laughs> in the White House. And so people are, are serving other roles and doing other things because there's no, you know, very, very rarely, although it does happen, is is, is the incumbent party challenged. Do you think there's any possibility, you Now this goes along the line, do you think there's any possibility talking about the Lieberman situation that Gore could have faced that unusual consequence of a challenge within his own, a strong challenge within his own party for the nomination in 2004, even though he was the sitting president?
0: I think uh, I don't really know.
1: Fair enough. I don't, know. I, I don't. I don't know either. That's the wonderful thing about I'm speculating with alternate history, right? Yeah. not know.
0: To, yeah, I'm trying to think from trying to think from the perspective of Lieberman. If I were the vice president of the sitting president, would I want to and disagreed with him? Well I want to challenge him? And probably not get the nomination because I cannot think of a single time. In American history that has happened I could be forgetting something but I cannot think of a well and eh, I guess Lyndon Johnson oh, kind of dropped
1: yeah but in that case he chose not to run so it didn't become an issue
0: in a, a 68. Footnote there we'll, we'll leave him as a footnote there yeah
1: I, it, it, again, I think I think certainly in modern U.S. political history so the 20th century moving forward it's certainly never been successful Um, no contemplated maybe a third party candidate but you know an actual direct a successful direct challenge to a sitting incumbent president within his own party where it was successfully done is you know basically a non-starter it's never
0: actually happened yeah usually they don't ever get more than one one delegate in the convention right right maybe maybe two okay so we're
1: we're, so we're going to take your assumption which i like and i think it's probably the most sort of logical assumption based upon uh, and you and i talked about this off podcast it's the rare thing that someone who has lost in the in the previous election even if it were close gets the chance to come back and do it again that doesn't happen very frequently Uh, i think the first thing that popped into my mind i think i'm right was maybe stevenson twice against eisenhower maybe fits that category um but it's a rare that's a rare thing too. So it's unlikely that Bush oh. comes back. So I like your idea of McCain as the Republican nominee. Who do you think? So you mentioned Lieberman as a potential running mate. Who else might be his running mate if there's not somebody coming from what was the the other party?
0: Well, um, I haven't researched this one as heavily, but uh, I think uh, maybe if he's if he's still governor of Texas, maybe George Bush. Doubtful uh maybe rick perry if he's at this point governor of texas because i don't know i know governors of texas yeah it's well a, and, and, you, and you're also term. looking
1: for a way to capture that very large portion of the electoral vote um uh, mm-hmm. so you you know you're very often you're looking for you know someone from texas someone from illinois someone from california you know or someone from
0: swing states is very 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 right. often right well eh, usually eh. yeah Maybe not. So, or, so, 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 McCain, so
1: McCain and his generic uh, balance the ticket swing state or big state affecting vice presidential nominee up against Gore in 2004. Uh, what's your take oh. on who wins that election in this alternate timeline.
0: On, on who wins the overall election. I think it would probably be very, very close. I think that just because it's extremely rare for the incumbent party to hold on to the White House for more than twelve years. It happened in this alternate scenario. It happened with Reagan and Bush Senior. It happened when FDR was president forever. Um, Aside from that, like that's going three three examples in the last hundred years. I can I guess the Republicans had it for a little bit in the twenties. For examples in the last. Hundred years from now, previous from now, when the incumbent party could hold on for more than twelve years, plus the ov- overall, the American people are still very upset about nine eleven. I think that probably be the case no matter what, and they might see Gore as being as not wanting to engage in the Middle East, and I think that might create some tension there and. Going back to the running mates thing, if you look at who's more advantageous in swing states, Gore's probably not going to win Tennessee. It, whoever's, we haven't really say if, if Lieberman is or isn't on the running. If Lieberman's not on the ticket, I think we'd probably see someone like John Kerry on the ticket, and simply out of the fact that he agreed with McCain on more positions and in our timeline, he ended up being the 2004 nominee. They're both not, they're both from states that are pretty solidly decided and McCain being from Arizona, which is and has been a key swing state. And all McCain would really need to do would be pick someone from the an area like Michigan, Pennsylvania to really do strongly. So I think McCain would probably win. Okay. By a margin similar to what Bush
1: won in two thousand four. Okay, so uh, I think all of those are, are solid analysis points from my standpoint. We talked a little bit about of off podcast. I know I, I've already shared with you. I agree with most of them. Is um, if for no other reason than that tendency for the, the the U.S. political pendulum to want to swing back and forth in twelve years is a long time, especially with the backdrop of what's happened in the in the in the three and a half years uh, prior to that election. So. Picking back up on some of the things that we thought might have happened during the the one-term Gore administration, um, is he a, is he a blip on the on the on the American political radar in terms of lasting? Impre- obviously, he's the president during 9/11. Would be remembered for that. We probably would remember a speech that he gave from the White House on that day versus the the one that uh, George W. Bush gave. Do you think or there's 19, the, 19,
0: even like Bush's most famous 9/11 speech, the one I can recall is where he's in New York, yeah, his arm around a firefighter, saying "We can hear you." Like that—that's probably his best political moment of his entire career.
1: I would agree with that. The, the the two things that the the three things that that stick out at me remembering the events of that day, and uh, we were talking about podcast, Brody, you're making me feel old because you weren't even born yet on that day, uh, which which is which is a whole other interesting thing to talk about because of just how you know memorable it was for for my generation it, it, it was our pearl harbor away. you know, you knew where you were you remember every detail of that day but i remember the speech that night from the oval office after he had worked very hard to get back to washington was bound to determine to get to deliver that speech from the white house as as just a sign of you know this has happened but there's you know we're still the united states kind of thing the speech you're talking about no doubt the the visiting the you know, the side of the, the visiting ground zero. And then the other thing I remember, particularly from that day, is because I've seen it so many times in documentary, is when he's in the classroom in Florida, when he's first informed by AIDS of what's happened. And, you know, they're they're trying to end that event there and very quickly, you know, get him to a place of safety, but he's actually at elementary school, so he doesn't want to cause panic in terms of how that happens. And just those are the three, those are the three enduring images that I have of George W. Bush as president around 9-11, there would have been some type of similar, you know, similar things, maybe not the same thing down, like you're talking about with a bullhorn at ground zero, you know, arm around a firefighter kind of thing. But, you know, Gore probably would have had a similar type of moment, a similar type of image that we would have as the, as the iconic image of him as the 9-11 president.
0: Maybe something we should probably get to later. Um, Yeah, I think Gore probably would have had, I don't really even remember what the question was.
1: (laughs) I I guess my question was, what would have sustained out of a one-term Gore administration? Ah,
0: yes. Um, Well, I think McCain being the moderate, he was, no matter how you look at it. I think a lot of, uh, if he can get climate proposals through, I think Gore can be remembered for that. I think Gore would probably be remembered for Afghanistan for being almost like a reluctant wartime president. A lot like how um uh ah, dang it, I'm forgetting his name now. Who's the guy who came before Teddy Roosevelt? Uh that would well directly
1: before would have been William McKinley.
0: McKinley. Yes. McKinley was remarked at the time for not wanting to go to war with Spain. Right. This was right around the time of the Cuban, oh Spanish-American War, which took a place primarily in Cuba as well as in the Philippines. And he really didn't want to get involved there. And I think that would be very, very similar to what we would see Gore doing a hundred years later. So he's he's he's
1: he's a reluctant wartime president. Uh we, we we spent a little bit of time talking about this, you know, potential way that this would have been a pivot for the green agenda. Do you think that that comes to an end with McCain? Is that does that survive? In other words, would we would we, would we have gone down a different path, even if it only deflected slightly because of Gore being in the office for the four years in terms of the US's position on climate change or how we would be addressing those issues as well as the energy dependence issues because of the brief time that Gore was, was in office?
0: I think that not all of Gore's proposals will stay forever, but I think that maybe half of them will. I use half as an arbitrary number. But I don't really see McCain repealing a ton of of climate policy, and it it would also depend on who would come after McCain because McCain's going to have to deal with the Afghan war turning unpopular and maybe still a recession in two thousand eight. Maybe the butterflies get rid of that, but we yep. could very easily see McCain also being a one term president and having another Democrat come in in two thousand eight. Whether it's Barack Obama or someone else, I don't know. I don't even know if Barack Obama would still be in, would ever get elected to the Senate from Illinois if the under a Gore presidency. Yeah, Maybe but he that, would
1: have. But that's one of the things that was running through my head was trying to was trying to determine what the Obama trajectory would be. Of course, he really, really came to the fore in terms of national recognition in 2004, uh, delivering a speech at the Democratic National Convention uh does he get to deliver that same type of speech at a gore at a at a gore uh, at a, a convention that's going to renominate gore do you get to, does does obama even get the opportunity to deliver that type of speech and be thrust into more of a national role at that time um you know then there's the question of you know which certainly was the case in 2008 you know another another democratic presidential candidate being hillary clinton uh you know w- w- would she have been the most likely then a challenger to uh, uh, McCain in 2008 or 2012, or both, you know, somewhere in that particular thing that's there and how that flows forward. And I guess the other question is, you know, we we sort of skipped over this because we sort of talked more of the focus on Afghanistan. I can believe a Democratic administration, a Gore administration being more focused on Afghanistan and maybe not doing the same things that the Bush administration did vis-a-vis Iraq. But now, as you pointed out, you, you still have Saddam in power. And so yes. there's always that risk of the other sort of unintended thing that happens, the other thing that hijacks a Gore presidency is, you know, some type of aggressive action that uh, Saddam takes, again, against Iran, uh, another, you know, invasion of whatever that might look like. He's still in power, so he's still in position to be a problem. <laughs> and well, if he, if he okay. becomes a problem, you know, what does that do to the Gore presidency or a subsequent presidency?
0: Well, I think first, I don't think Hazam, um, I don't think, I don't think the leader of Iraq. I can't pronounce his name. All of a sudden, Hazam um, Hussein. I don't think he. I don't think he'd be stupid enough to do a 9/11 style of that. I think Kuwait's right next door. What well, worked, um, didn't work, worked ish once. They <laughs> work again. Um, I think that that would probably be the aggressive action I would see him doing. But I don't think. Well, I don't think Gore would probably have to deal with it. I think that probably be something theoretical President McCain would have to deal with. Right. The Obama to the Obama thing, his The DNC speech is what launched him nationally, but what launched him in Illinois, and he never would have gone to give that speech if he hadn't been the nominee for the U.S. Senate for the state of Illinois, was his overly big, completely unexpected landslide in the Democratic primary for Senate from Illinois. I think he won like 70% of the vote, which for a state senator is pretty good. And... We're not going to see anything like that in 2022 probably. We didn't see anything like that in 2020 from my knowledge. I, I didn't I don't follow state senators all that closely because there's so many of them. That was in 2000 that would have been 2004. so we would have seen a Gore administration relatively unpopular. So say he does give the DNC speech. The Republican Party holds the U.S. Senate seat in Illinois, and if if McCain has strong enough coattails, I think Barack Obama could possibly lose his Senate election in Illinois. In our timeline, he won by a fairly large majority, but that but then there wasn't an an, unpop, an unpopular Democrat administration in power. Right. So. I think if he places cards right, Obama could certainly, certainly be still be launched into the spotlight, maybe not at the Democrat DNC, maybe still, I don't know, because I don't know if we had settled on this. I think I've thrown it out earlier, Kerry as a vice presidential nominee, he was the presidential nominee in 2004. So I think that is still quite possible. But it's also possible he could earn a name on drafting some major legislation or a speech on the floor of the Senate or maybe something else, maybe something else entirely, or maybe he becomes known for coming close to winning the Senate election and not winning it. We've had that happen recently in Texas, not to get into current affairs again, but it would certainly be a possible thing to have happen.
1: Right. There's all kinds of ways, particularly with a national news media that continues to morph as we move forward in time that you don't have to win to get noticed. And yeah. and some and sometimes losing gives you the benefit of structuring what you happen after the election to prepare yourself for the next higher office, even more so than if you had actually won. Win, winning can handicap you because now you have to serve in the role, whereas uh, losing, losing close, losing in something that gets a lot of, of notice means that you have the flexibility to decide
0: what to do after the loss. There, there is that, but there's also the thing that. Americans don't like to elect a loser and especially on presidential levels there's only one person I can think of who breaks that mold and that would be Abraham Lincoln (laughs) and a lot of Americans did not like his election
1: right (laughs) some things happen yeah yeah, there's a famous thing of how many times he ran and lost and then what oh he won the presidency that's what he finally won right
0: he Um, lost to Stephen Douglas in the
1: yeah Senate race
0: just two years earlier Right. So but do even I, agree now, with that? I don't even I don't even think an Abraham Lincoln esque type person would be able to win the presidency under the environment today or in 2000.
1: No, no, he thinks that, you know, he, everything I've ever heard about, you know, we well, I'm thinking of Daniel Day Lewis portraying him in uh, in Steven Spielberg's Lincoln being one of those things. But in other things as well, you know, they talk about his voice being a high pitched Kentucky twang. <laughs> and uh you know the, the thing that strikes me is yeah you know, abraham lincoln by appearance and by that was not was not a made for tv uh political event the good the good news was he, he he was a political event before there was a tv so that's why it worked out for him
0: there, there's a reason there's a reason eisenhower was the last bald president you kind of have to have the appearances now to be able to run for president
1: yeah 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 you know mm-hmm. there's there's the uh you know the famous uh 60 uh debate between uh kennedy and nixon you know yeah, how intelligent Kennedy was. And, you know, people that you, you hear this all the time. I remember this distinctly being covered in, you know, political science classes that I took in college. The people that listened to that debate on the radio declared Nixon the winner. And the people that watched that debate declared Kennedy the winner. And there's a lot to be said about what that meant for the the medium and the impact that it was starting to have on how candidates were being perceived.
0: Yeah, yeah. Who knows, maybe our podcast could be a whole lot bigger if there were YouTube channels.
1: Well, and I've actually converted the audio part of mine into one and nobody listens because nobody wants to watch a static image when they do it. But yeah, there's a very different, you make an excellent point. There's a very different thing there. So and, one, one of the things that really just uh, struck me, and I'm gonna we're gonna have to, I'm gonna have to come back to this, and maybe we we'll do it with you at a different time. Just thinking about you mentioned the butterfly effect and how you know, how that things. I think we something. often forget the power of coattails and down ballot elections that are influenced by what's going on at the high level. And we we know mm-hmm. that happens. We know how that works. It's not that we're blind Definitely. to it, but not realizing that that changes the fate of individuals that either get a boost or that are negated as a result of those coattails.
0: Yes, like like George Bush. He really earned his name, Well, his father, his connections to his father. And then in 1994, defeating, I believe it was Ann Richards for the gubernatorial election here in Texas. And then to address the point you had made earlier about, I forgot to answer, about Hillary Clinton, who, who knows if she could have won. She could have been Secretary of State, for Gore, or she could have been senator from New York, or Senator from Illinois, or Senator right. from Arkansas, because she's been associated with all three of those states. Now, um, you you she, make an New excellent North point North North
1: North because eventually North. she serves in the Secretary of State position in the Obama yes. administration. What's to There's say that, that what's to say that North. wouldn't have been something that she would have slid into in the Gore administration?
0: Yeah. And, and so and then she's never had, a United
1: States had, Senator. Yeah. And you know, she or, had the,
0: or, or, or I thought I had while well saying that. She was often associated with Illinois. Right. Who else earned their stars in two thousand four in Illinois? Uh, I think
1: we talked about him. Uh, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, again, to me, that's an interesting thing. You know, and again, I don't think we talk about those ripples nearly as much because they're they're tougher to decipher and they're sort of more mundane. But the you know the truth is they probably end up having more impact obviously on the individuals than we then we recognize, but they probably actually have more impact on our future history because of what didn't happen as a result of, again, something down ballot. That's just, you know, of the course. nature of how that works.
0: Of course, and to get away, well, kind of get away from ballots. Uh, and on the topic of the butterfly effect, so there were four planes involved in nine Two hit the Twin Towers, one hit the Pentagon, and one was taken down over Pennsylvania. Do you think that because of the butterfly effect we could have seen that last the fourth plane go down into the capitol building what would have happened because congress was in session then
1: right uh in fact there's actually an episode of a fork in time i don't know if you've listened to it where alexis and i speculate on that it's 42 minutes and we talk about the fourth plane and, and exactly that. I mean, for those of you that are familiar with Tom Clancy and his uh, and his novels, you know that that's how his fictional Jack Ryan actually uh, assumes the presidency, is uh, is through a successful. Uh, this is sort of, it's one of those strange things to me because it was written before. You know, a successful attack by the plane hitting the Capitol, which is a little bit scary in terms of, you know, how much then reality could could have taken over from fiction, but again, you know. Let's say you only lose, um, you know, 10, 15, 20 percent of Congress, which would you know, be an entirely different tragedy. And we talked about still 10,
0: 15, 20 percent of Congress. That's still like 100 people. Right.
1: And, and those 100 people are people that are in positions today, potentially, that have influence. And again, the loss of life and the whole thing would have just been tragic enough. You know, end of sentence, oh, yeah. period there. But then the ripples that go on, the butterflies that go on from that go on for decades and potentially go on to affect things in big yeah. ways.
0: Or even Congress was in session that time. I think it'd be entirely possible to see in a absolute worst case scenario. Ninety nine, hundred percent of Congress being killed. Bye. In which case we would have had a massive, massive political talent imbalance. McCain's candidacy is off the table. Um, Lieberman's probably out as a running mate because he's probably dead, too. Um, carry, and I think we definitely would have seen a governor run because that's right. just the one who's left, except right. for you, you're you're then, looking
1: for somebody who can point to their experience as an executive, uh, when you've yes. lost and you've lost all of the other viable candidates inside
0: of the house or experience period, right? Or experience period because, well, I mean there there is the possibility that they that all of these the all fifty state governors appoint because it's very often happens a lot when a senator dies or resigns retires midterm for whatever reason that a governor appoints a replacement and then there is a early special election the next year like that that was happened in Georgia this last cycle it's it happens before and on other occasions as well or and then there were anthrax attacks not too long after this directed towards members of the Senate so that could have been directed towards governors because the Senate's gone.
1: Yeah, it's a it, it's a it's a scary thing. You know, and actually, uh, the American television network ABC had it had a show. Which I guess has now moved over to one of the streaming platforms. I'm not going to say which one because I'm not positive whether it's, Netflix, it's either Netflix or Hulu, but Designated Survivor, which was along this concept of where there is that there, there's an event and there's an explosion at the Capitol, which basically the, the federal government, the elected part of the federal government, has to be rebuilt. And you have a, a low grade, essentially a lower tier cabinet secretary who suddenly elevated the position of presidency. And what was fascinating to me about watching that show, it's actually a Kiefer Sutherland who plays the, the president there, if you're familiar with
0: it. Ooh, the, the, I am familiar with
1: Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah. The, the thing was fascinating to me about thinking through that was how they tried, and they dealt with it, I think, as fairly as they could for, a, you know, a a network primetime drama where you weren't going to go into all the details of this, but the challenges of and of course, not every member of Congress died, but most did the challenges of rebuilding the entire legislative branch of government from scratch is, you know, something we've never had to deal with as a nation. We've certainly had presidential assassinations, we've had, you know, major but events like know. that, but just, just the consequences of how it. you reform 535 seats and how you make that happen, and how it literally becomes hitting the reset button on, um, you know, on, on politics and everything potentially, where you don't have the, there's no longer the benefit that incumbents have. So it resets everything.
0: Yeah. Another thought is it could move things forward. Like if there's a special election and this this would be September of 2001, this would happen. So November 2001, where you see maybe a little after that, where you could see Barack Obama coming to the Senate three years earlier. Right. And then there's also seniority is completely, completely gone. So you could see competitive elections for president pro tempore of the Senate, which currently stands as the most senior member of the party in power. So right now that'd be Patrick Leahy of Vermont it's varied over the course of time. Orrin hatch, one of the presidential candidates we discussed earlier, actually was that for a period of time a few years ago yeah. And and there are a lot of and happen a lot of lower lower level cabinet secretaries who who really could be higher caliber. Like just to think of a few under the Obama administration, Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. That's not that's not really lower grade. Of all the positions, that's a higher one. Secretary of State's tend to be More seasoned. People, more, seasoned more seasoned people. Yes. Than, yeah. And then uh, I believe he was the Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, Joaquin Castro. I know I completely butchered his name, but he's a major Democrat politician in Texas now. Andrew Cuomo was secretary of housing and Urban development before he ran for governor of New York and on and on and on and on so we could see those people going to the senate instead of the governorships and the other positions they want
1: to yeah hey, but, but we probably should reserve a lot of that comment for a follow-up show at some point which I'd be happy to have you back on to do which was uh just thinking through all of the various um, you know, ways that 9-11 could have been different and thinking about that particular way that it could have been different I really just changed a lot sliding back around to the sliding back around to the original topic of uh Gore being in the in the in the big chair in, in the Oval Office after 9-11 is there anything big that we've missed Brody that you wanted that you had thought about that you wanted to make sure we covered
0: um well, I just thought of this but um Bush got a lot of Supreme Court nominations like the Chief Justice I think he got three or four in so we'd probably see a much more liberal Supreme Court
1: yeah or or, 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 or court that would be closer to ballots because there would have been both parties represented during that period of time where there was a changeover of uh of positions probably no doubt about that
0: at that at that time there were 5 justices appointed by republican presidents and 4 by democrat presidents if 3 retire or resign i don't know if they were all from the republican side i know at least 2 were so we would i don't it would probably look like what it looks like today just in reverse right yeah So that's an
1: interesting, that's an interesting area. Again, we, again, those are the, you know, even if it's only for a a one term period of time, that one term can have that lasting impact for that reason, particularly when there was a a close scenario that's there.
0: We also remember the Carter presidency. Just as an example of one term or Kennedy, he didn't even get one term.
1: Right. Well, you know, the interesting thing about the Kennedy presidency—I was actually talking to somebody about this the other day—is so much of what we think about being the results of the Kennedy presidency were Johnson following through on the initiatives that were started by Kennedy and then carrying them forward, in a way that Johnson, having been the former majority leader, could do that Kennedy was going to have difficulty doing otherwise
0: yeah uh, yeah
1: so, so much and of the Kennedy legacy is Johnson's is Johnson carrying the ball for the Kennedy legacy that I think it's easy for us in hindsight to forget how short of a time uh that uh that President Kennedy actually served in the office he served for less than he served for less well I guess slightly more than three years three, not quite three years two years mm-hmm. and you know two years and let's say ten months roughly give or take um because of inauguration in January and then the you know, assassination in November but certainly not not even not even three out of the four years that he was elected yeah yeah and, and part then, of the reason uh, it was in Texas part of the reason he was in Texas and, and all that happened was the fact that they were already gearing up for knowing they were going to have a very tough time winning re-election in 64. so that, just
0: a on that one more piece of trivia at the Kennedy assassination JFK was assassinated in Dallas. Johnson was from Texas. In mean, Dallas, Texas, Johnson was from Texas. Uh, inaugurated over Texas in Texas airspace. I think that's the only time a U.S. president has been inaugurated <laughs> in his. Uh, that be that's an interesting thing. Now I feel
1: compelled to uh, I feel compelled to uh, to research because I think you may be right. And of course, there's there's there and I'm not one of these that holds to this position. But there, you know, there's some people that believe, you know, hmm, sort of suspicious that it happened in Texas. And guess who gets to be the president? But we won't go down that particular path. All right. Anything else that we missed, Brody? Uh,
0: no, I, I think we I think we touched on everything. OK,
1: for oh, for my listeners much here much. on A Fork in Time, who may not have heard uh, the last time that you were on the show, uh, tell folks a little bit about Imagine If and what it's all about and how it works.
0: So Imagine If is also an alternate history podcast, although unlike A Fork in Time, we, we dive into more developed storylines rather than taking a broad look at all the different ways things could have happened. We look at one way things could have happened. Like, I I believe the episode I did with you was, um, Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, who suffered with mental health issues. Oh no, that that was a different episode. Um, William Seward ended up earning the Republican nomination instead of Abraham Lincoln in 1860, and right. how William Seward handled the Civil War, and how unfortunately Houston got burned in the process.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember not liking that part of the uh, <laughs> of the episode, but 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 to Brody's point we both function in the same genre, but we do it in different ways, which is one of the things that I like about listening to imagine if two and Brody, you spend, and I'm, I'm always impressed by this. You spend a lot more time going into the details because you choose a singular path forward. So you need to flush out that singular path forward where we play it a little bit fast and loose here on a fork in time. Most of the time, not choosing just one, (laughs) we choose multiple forks or multiple ripples that come from the, you know, the fork and really, Take it a little bit more from the analysis side versus the true, you know, alternate history in the sense of a specific alternate timeline that extends out. And I know in many cases you've extended those timelines out, you know, quite a ways.
0: Yeah. I know that usually takes a lot more research to figure out what would have happened if we had a Confederate States in World War One. That's, right.
1: yeah. Very interesting. And so, yeah, so, so I, I value what is what's, what overlaps between our two shows, but I also value the differences, which is why I'm happy to have you on and also happy to recommend to any Fork in Time listener who hasn't checked out, Uh, the Imagine If podcast and certainly in the show notes here for the version of this episode that will go on uh, a fork in time. You'll have the link that's there to link over to to access uh, Brody's show and we'll have him back again. Uh, As Alexis and I talk about all the time we view that we view what we what we're working on here as being part of the alternate history community and in my mind uh, Brody is definitely part of that community so we want to encourage the support for his show as much as we would encourage the support for our own and I'm also very impressed I'm not going to ask you to reveal your age, but you are far younger than I am. And I'm very impressed with your maturity, your your knowledge and grasp of facts at your age. And I thought of myself as being pretty bright, precocious uh, high school student. Uh, Yours is far superior to mine, what mine was at the time. And it shows both in the preparation for your episodes and how you execute them. So uh, kudos for that.
0: Thank you. And I would recommend to all my listeners as well to check out the fork in time because they do a lot of stuff a lot better than I do <laughs> we're just benefit of, benefit of experience
1: yeah we're we're, we're now we're, we're getting longer in the tooth you know as Alexis and I were talking about on the episode of, a few episodes back you know we put a one in front of those numbers now it's three digits and that suddenly feels like doesn't feel like a lot but it feels like a lot uh, the, the other thing that I, I wanted to mention here, I haven't even had a chance to mention it, Brody, so we don't know whether he is, but, you know, he's one of the people that I also think of at some point that may join us for the new venture that we're launching our second podcast from our side, which is the room where it happened, uh, which takes the
0: third podcast in our community.
1: Yeah, just you know, we're trying to grow that. And then taking a little bit of a different twist, because there are times like a little bit we talked about here today, you almost want to talk about the real timeline or the real event, as much as you want to talk about the alternate, but you still want to be true to the alternate, you know, the alternate process. And so we, yeah. we're, we're creating a space where we can do that a little bit more in terms of being a pure history podcast, but also, you know, the recognition of tying it back to alternate events. So, Brody, I appreciate you joining us again. I know we'll have you back. Uh, any uh, one, last, one last time, one any last thing. things you want to say to any of the listeners before we uh, sort of bring it to a close?
0: One more thing, I actually want to say to you because. If I have my own math right, and there are 52 weeks in a year, I believe you're closing in on your two-year anniversary. We're,
1: we're so. getting really close. And again, I mentioned this on the last episode. We're really proud of the fact that we haven't missed a week. We've stretched a week here or there, but we haven't missed a week. I think technically I could actually pull it up here. I was looking at that today. The middle of May is when, I, uh, is when we actually hit that two-year anniversary. So we're drawing upon it really close. And mm. uh, it's... Um,
0: Depending yeah, on I, the I intended
1: this thing to sustain, but you know, when I look back on it, you know, wow, it has actually been uh, two years. Wow, it's actually been two years, <laughs>
0: almost. Yeah, depending yeah. on when you release this, this may very well be the two the two year.
1: Yeah, it, it, w- w- this will go out ahead of that. This one will actually turn around pretty quick because we're still putting the other stuff in the can for our run of episodes to have ahead. And now that I'm finally here, I'm actually going to get to the magic uh, the magic number. May seventeenth jumps out at me. But I'm not sure if that's actually what it is. The post date of episode one uh, of uh, a fork in time was uh, was May 17th of 2019, with episode one. And I posted the the little brief, less than two minute introduction introducing the podcast on May 4th. So I don't know if you want to call May 4th the official anniversary or May 17th. I would go with the May 17th because that was the first episode that was the full full blown episode. But we're getting there pretty close.
0: May 4th is already Star Wars Day. I think that one's taken.
1: Yeah, then we better just assume May the 17th. That way we're not competing. All right. Brody, again, I appreciate you joining us. And uh, we'll do it again sometime soon.